0: Wellness Force Radio, Episode Forty Six.
1: This is what's happening in our society. Stimulation always gives us dopamine, which is pleasure. But when it's hyperstimulation, too much stimulation, then normal stimulation is boring and flat and not good enough and not enough, and it creates all kind of symptoms. So you see, the younger generation, we want all this romantic feeling, which is fantastic. Hyperstimulation of romantic feelings then suddenly you you become bored because, and it's not enough and people move on to another partner rather than being able to create massive pleasure and fulfillment from normal stimulation.
0: Welcome back to another episode. I am your host and digital health coach, Josh Trent. Thanks so much for sharing this small slice of your busy day here with me on the podcast. Wellness Force Radio is where I bring you the most inspiring and passionate experts, in wellness, behavior change, and technology. These are the thought leaders. They dedicate their lives to empowering us with the knowledge and tools that drive real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. This month, Audible is giving a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at wellnessforce.com slash free book. You can choose from over 180,000 titles in wellness or anything you love, downloaded right to your iPhone, Android, or Kindle. Today's show, we are talking with John Gray about natural solutions for ADHD memory and brain performance, including depression, addiction, and how we show up in our relationships. This conversation is going to hit hard because we go to some profound places in our talk near the end of the show on a new drug that is affecting men's brains more than ever, That new drug is internet porn. A little bit more about John Gray. He is the best-selling relationship author of all time. Let me just say that again. John Gray, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, is the best-selling relationship author of all time and the most trusted voice in relationships today. He's the author of over 17 books, including the New York Times number one best-selling book of the last decade, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. His 17 books have sold over 50 million copies in 50 different languages around the world. For more than 35 years, John Gray has conducted public and private seminars for thousands of participants. John has made several guest appearances on Oprah, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Dr. Oz, The CBS Morning Show, Larry King Live, CNN. Basically, John's been all over the world and back. He's been on every show that everyone watches on the planet. So without any further waiting, I've been waiting for this episode to publish for months myself, and I know there's going to be such connection and profound insight and wisdom that John gives to the audience today. I am so excited to bring on Dr. John Gray. John, welcome to Wellness Force Radio.
1: Thank you so much, it's a real pleasure.
0: John, I've been studying your work, kind of cyber-stalking you (laughs) over this past week. You have so many profound contributions to wellness. It's no surprise that from 35 plus years of work, I'm sure most of the people in the country know of you, but can you share something fun or interesting that people might not know about you?
1: Uh, Okay. Uh, that my daughter Lauren is smarter than me, and she has her own website and she teaches <laughs> classes women on how to uh, manage stress effectively. And she's created an online course called How to Create you No, know, How to Get More Me Time. Now, in this course, which is, I went over every single lesson that she did, I edited it. And, but it's her ideas, and she has taken my message to a much higher level. I feel dwarfed by her brilliance, to put it clearly. <laughs> <laughs> She's 30 years old and uh, way ahead of me. So you know, we have battles about what's right, and she has the female point of view. And so she really uh, has taught me a lot.
0: Well, John, we're so grateful for having you come on today because we're going to talk about something incredibly important, and that's our brain, how it relates to the quality of our lives and our relationships. But before we talk about your book, I have to tell you, your life story touched me in so many profound ways. In your life, you've spent nine years celibate from learning from Maharishi, teaching transcendental meditation, sometimes meditating for 14 hours a day. You've even been homeless on a beach with two college degrees to then wind up becoming a world famous author after getting your doctoral degree in psychology. Looking back, though, what energy do you feel like really drew you to traveling with the Maharishi? And can you share the events after that that led you to transforming your life?
1: Well, inspiration, I think, is the key. And often people ask me, you know, how do you find your mission and purpose? Uh... I think that before we have the ability to connect with the source within us, we all have a mission and purpose, a source of creativity, of how we are designed to contribute to the world. We're all a, a missing a, pu- a piece of the puzzle and we have something to offer. Not all people realize that and discover that. And there's stages of development. And I think, for, at least for me, the, the real clarity is I didn't have that uh, introspective awareness that to connected with my source. So I saw it in somebody else, and I think that's the first stage of it, is that you, you become inspired by others, could be one person, many people, could be books, could be classes, teachers, uh, but someone who has something out there that awakens something inside, and that inspired me tremendously. Mm. Then, then you know, it's a journey. You know, they say it's a life is a journey, and many, many turns we're not really expecting or planning. And for me, those journeys always came from painful moments, which really connected me to what was most important in life. And, you know, after many years as a yogi and, and a master of meditation, which I do love that I spent that time meditating because I still have an amazing ability to uh, step out of any kind of suffering and enjoy this hmm. 360 degree awareness that just surrounds me and comforts me. However, having said that, I could not be, I was very happy. I was very dedicated, inspired by somebody who was dedicated, inspired by his teacher to lead a very sort of pure, motivated life. But my brother was bipolar, and I just had to help him, and meditation wasn't enough, and yoga wasn't enough, and spirituality wasn't enough. So I went back to California to study psychology. And while I had this feeling that the universe always supports me, and it does, it doesn't always support you in the way you think or right away, and so I kind of expected everything to just money to come, and it didn't come, and so I ended up being homeless. Uh, but it gradually, was you know, the difference between me and your homeless person out there is that uh, you know I had a family that I could ask for help, and so I did get help enough to go to school. Uh, to get a a regular uh, kind of job school, trade school in computer programming. I had connections with a brother who worked at Stanford Research Institute. And so I got to be uh, employed by them and a very good salary. I saved up my money so I could go to school in psychology and mm-hmm. started my own seminar company, but I had to save up money to do it because quite often when you start to follow your dream and your passion, it doesn't make money right away. Yes. <laughs> so you've got to like uh, go for a while without making a lot of money, but doing it in your spare time, so to speak, until you get a lot of experience and confidence in yourself. And then, you know, after being celibate, you know, so interested in sex and relationships, and that became my obsessive study and while also trying to help my brother. Uh, then... Uh, You know, through a variety of relationships and so forth, uh, discovered what real love is and met my soulmate, Bonnie. But before that, I married another woman for a couple of years who really taught me that love can be there, but it's not enough. And it was sort of the beginnings of my understanding of the male and female side of me, because what I discovered is my first wife pursued me. She was like the man. I mean, she wanted me. She put me on a pedestal. She gave me everything she wanted, everything I wanted. And it's hard to say no to that. So, in a sense, it was like somebody coming up and handing me a check for a million dollars. Your your response to that is, "Wow, I love you." Yeah, thank you. But it's a different kind of it's a different kind of love. It's a it's a thank you love, as opposed to the kind of love I felt for Bonnie. Uh, and Bonnie, my wife, my soulmate of over thirty years now, um, I had this had to make this decision between Bonnie or Barbara, and Bonnie was somebody who really wasn't giving me everything I wanted, but she was somebody who I wanted to give everything to her. You know, there was this natural pursuit. I wanted to pursue her, and she was not so easy, so to speak. Uh, And so I went the easy road, married the first woman, Barbara, and then that didn't work out, ultimately, particularly because uh, uh, she got tired of pursuing me. (laughs) And then there was not much response from me. So we ended very amicably, but then moved on to... Uh, really did some soul searching, some healing, because uh, divorce is devastating no matter if you choose it or not, and uh, went back and, and found Bonnie and married her, and we've been married 30 years. So that was a key thing of realizing the kind of love that I had for Bonnie was from my male side uh, to her female side, whereas the kind of love Barbara had for me was her male side and my female side was responding, saying, wow, you take me on great dates. You're helping me out here. You give me everything I want. Who can say no to that?
0: And what I admire most about you, John, is you truly live this message of healthy relationships and body. Having been married to Bonnie for 30 years plus and being an inspiring example of health and even with your busy travel and life schedule, you found a way to dance and kind of balance it all. Your most recent book, Staying Focused in a Hyper World, focuses on practical information to increase brain focus, memory, and restore love and passion in your life and relationships. So to set the frame, John, I read in your book some shocking statistics. You mentioned one out of every 10 American children have been diagnosed with ADHD. One out of seven American women over 55 will develop dementia. And this one really hit me the hardest, that one out of nine American students seriously contemplate suicide every year. Can you share why you wrote this book now and what fuels your passion to deliver this message?
1: You know, I've written over 25 books. And so people say, why do you write another book? Because I become inspired and heavily motivated when it comes to this condition of ADHD. And the book isn't just limited to that, but that's a big part of it. I just saw two PBS specials many years back. On ADHD, where they describe this phenomena, these experiences of people, whether they're adults in relationship and they can't communicate effectively because of this tendency towards ADHD. It's a, and children who really don't do well in school and have behavior problems and learning difficulties and so forth. And the, the show identifies the condition, and that was good, that people see something is happening to our children. Something's happening to our younger generation where they can't make commitments in relationships. And something's happening in the older generation where we're feeling dissatisfied and wanting to get divorced because we lose the passion. And then something's happening in the elder generation where everybody's lose, losing their mind. And this is these are all new changes in the last 35 years. So it all comes down to the, the different changes in our lifestyle which have occurred over the last 30 years. And what I saw in these PBS specials is they are talking about how this change is create, affecting children, beautifully done, helping people to realize that you know we are uh, having a big problem here, often identified as ADHD. And then they, the last section, they, they have a whole series of doctors telling parents that it's perfectly safe to take Ritalin and Adderall, and it's not. Uh, now, granted, in the year 2000, they hadn't done any long-term studies, and for many children, 70%, there was an improvement in behavior. So parents were like, amazing, but there was no long-term studies. and. The bottom line is that long-term studies show that Ritalin and Adderall do what they're expected to do. They are methamphetamines and a mild version of cocaine and they will affect the brain. They will create a sedentary lifestyle. They will create less motivation. They will create less commitment. And you can actually see the changes in the brain within one year, major changes in the brain, which one Harvard scientist said brain damage. Now, I would not say that, I'd say brain injury and because injury we have an awareness that we can heal it so the brain has amazing healing powers and that's what i've been dedicated to and you know that was part of the whole thing and then the other side of it was my motivation to write this book is 15 years ago when i turned 50 i had was diagnosed with parkinson's and it runs in the family uh and uh I said, well, I'm not going to take the medication because everybody clearly knows that once you start doing Parkinson medication, the condition gets worse and worse until the medication doesn't help at all. And that's a a downward slope so I researched all the cause of Parkinson's I figured it out and have really helpful mentors and teachers and alternative researchers and so forth and then found a natural solution and reversed it and when I reversed it my my wife said wow you have just become a different guy than than you're the guy married in the beginning (laughs) and I went wow I, I didn't notice that much of a difference but she certainly did and she pointed it out things like uh, you follow through on little activities. Normally, I would wait to the last minute to do a lot of little things and, and then uh, procrastinate a lot. I wasn't procrastinating. I was more organized. That was another thing. I was uh, uh, more flexible and generous and uh, could shift my attention better. And as she was describing those things, I realized, wow, she's describing the old me as an ADHD person who, <laughs> who <laughs> – who gets hyper focused in his work and can't shift gears? Uh, who tends to become distracted when she's talking? Uh, these are are intense to procrastinate doing doing things, uh, and and not that that's a bad thing, but those are all one version of symptoms, common symptoms of the ADD symptoms. There's So I went and studied all this. After that, I realized, wow, this is like amazing. The same solution for Parkinson's actually was reversing ADHD-type symptoms. Would they reverse all ADHD-type symptoms? Because I didn't have them all. And then I discovered that I'd written this book on parenting called Children Are From Heaven, which had divided children into four categories, the more sensitive types, the more creative types, the more active types, the more uh, organized types. And this is an old system that I helped. Uh, that came from Germany a long time ago and came from Greece before that. You know, old old way of dividing up our basic temperaments and updated it. Then I discovered that, wow, as soon as you have this inhibited dopamine function in the brain, uh, then you have these ADHD symptoms showing up as hyperactive for the active types, hyper distracted and disorganized for the creative types. But what's not recognized today is hypersensitive Or the more sensitive types you know these are kids who feel you know like a black sheep they're more emotional they tend to get feelings hurt more and that's already a phenomenon then suddenly you put it hyper on it you've got more trouble and then you've got the organized kids they become hyper compulsive uh and so you get kind of an ocd kid who's very resistant to change can be very oppositional to authority or can be hyper compliant but then oppositional to others who aren't And I realized, whoa, all of the normal kind of problems that kids – challenges that kids will have based on their temperament, they become exaggerated based upon the hyper-stimulation in our world today. When you put an iPad in front of a little kid, you watch him. He goes into a meditative state instantly. Because pain produces hyper amounts mm-hmm. of dopamine, similar to what happens when you give a dessert to a kid. Uh, they'll go right into complete meditation on that dessert. But then afterwards, they go kind of berserk. They, they become dependent upon hyper stimulation. And this is what's happening in our society. Stimulation always gives us dopamine, which is pleasure. But when it's hyper stimulation, too much stimulation, then normal stimulation is boring and flat and not good enough and not enough and it creates all kinds of symptoms. So you see the younger generation, we want all this romantic feeling, which is fantastic, hyper-stimulation of romantic feelings, then suddenly you, you become bored, because, and it's not enough, and people move on to another partner, rather than being able to create massive pleasure and fulfillment from normal stimulation.
0: Do you feel like the stimulation piece, it just takes more work to actually live life naturally. And I feel like the temperament that men and women of any age experience is in this society of instant gratification. What is the correlation between ADHD and the growth of ADHD and ADD in correlation to this kind of psychology of instant gratification?
1: Well, you just hit the the most powerful phrase right there instant gratification is our society and that is the adhd that's that's basically what's causing adhd if you look at a hyper kid he's hyper because his attention goes one direction and he immediately goes, now I want more. And he has to go to something else. He becomes too bored if he's not busy, busy, busy. He'll become frustrated and bored. The distracted child always is sort of going to something new and different, new and different to follow through is very difficult. It becomes too boring and flat. There's a resistance to that. So this boredom is basically, if we, we demand the instant gratification. And what I explain in the book is... The way the brain works it's a little tricky i want to just attempt it it's just it's like when you you have dopamine which gives us motivation and pleasure and focus and interest anytime we have pleasure focus motivation or interest the brain is releasing dopamine now when dopamine gets released you get all that pleasure when it goes into a receptor site if too much dopamine is released, the body regulates itself, and it actually removes your receptor sites. So an example of this would be if you took cocaine, just one use, because it's so stimulating. It produces so much dopamine, You people feel like they're, they're Superman. They feel like heroes. They feel great. They feel fabulous, like I just won the Olympics or something, and that's what dopamine does. But it's too much, and the body says, oh, that was too much. So we're going to take away 30%, 28% of your dopamine function, which now means normal stimulation, like saying, hey, buddy, how you doing? That would be normal social interaction becomes one third as pleasurable, and that means life becomes boring. Same thing happens with sugar. You know, when you eat you know, you give a cookie to a child the first time, one cookie tends to be completely fine. That's all they can eat. They, they go, wow, that was great. But then what happens is you get this desensitizing of dopamine receptors, the eventual down-regulation and disappearance of part of your dopamine receptors. And now, in order to feel alive and pleasure and interested and motivated, you need a higher stimulation. It's like a little screen TV. It's kind of boring. We need a bigger screen. Then we need a big movie screen. It's the stimulation. And it's not bad to occasionally have high stimulation. That's parties. That's fun. But what happens is after the high stimulation, you have to rest the brain. You have to relax the brain. You have to come back to nature, and life is a little flat and boring, not a whole huge flat and boring, and then those receptor sites return, and you restore balance. But when we get super high stimulation, it takes longer for the receptor sites to come back up, and you also need extra nutrition to help those receptor sites appear again, you need to produce stem cells in your body. And for that, you need healthy gut function, you need a digestion, you need amino acids, you need B vitamins, you need omega 3s. So, you know, that, that's where the solution is, what I just described is when you provide your body with extra nutrition, it helps the brain come back into balance. But you still, you can't come back into balance if you keep depending upon hyperstimulation. So for women, you know, the women listening, what they don't realize is that their brain is addicted to worry. This is one of the most common phenomena that I see for grown women and even for young teenage girls as well is they're becoming overwhelmed. Now, I've been doing this, you know, 35 years. And I've watched this term, overwhelm, increase, increase, increase. Not that some men don't feel it, but women feel it way, way more. And it's basically, we can now look at brain scans and see that when you're overwhelmed and you're worrying, the same part of the brain is being activated. The dopamine part of the brain that's being activated is the same as heroin. You get addicted to worrying. Some people get addicted to anger. Some people get addicted to drama, uh, feeling victimized. Grieving can actually become an addiction if you don't have the right nutritional support. UCLA proved that that when parents are chronically grieving their children, this same, and they can't feel happy again, they have to go on antidepressants and all these things. Which again, I see natural solutions for, but they take they give them the antidepressants and so forth. And what they found is that the same part of the brain is being activated when they're chronically grieving that happens when you take heroin. So it, it's you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem reasonable, but actually, it's when you face danger that makes you feel alive. When people are grieving, at least they feel alive. It's not a positive experience, but actually, on one level, it's a good experience. You're feeling all this love for the child that you're missing, but you're not experiencing present time, happiness in present time. That's why we want to help the brain to come back into the moment and be happy with what's here rather than having to create drama. Or addiction to foods, you know, sugar is a major dopamine stimulator, so it creates hyperstimulation in that part of the brain that heroin affects. So we get addicted to sugar.
0: You mentioned for nutrition wise that sugar actually reduces lithium in our brain, reduces the ability to create dopamine. And you talk about using sugar products when you feel great, if you're having a great day, enjoy some dessert, you know, enjoy your treat. But when you're feeling low. Eating sugar when you're already feeling low can just exacerbate that. Can you unpack that a little bit, John?
1: Yes. Uh, first of all, sugar uh, it does h- create hyperstimulation of dopamine. Uh, but what also what sugar does, which is not good is it depletes the brain, it, that hyperdopamine stimulation depletes the brain of lithium. Lithium is this cofactor for making serotonin in the brain. So, you know, refined sugar, if you get, you know, one of the sources of sugar is beets. We get most of our sugar from beets. And if you actually look at the fiber and then the mineral content in beets, it's the highest content of lithium. Lithium is a natural mineral that our body requires to process energy, particularly in the brain. And so when we suddenly have a big burst of energy in the brain from sugar, you use up the lithium in the brain because you weren't putting the lithium along with the sugar. Uh, lithium is, you know, was discovered many years ago in, in uh, Natural Springs, the people who couldn't sleep, who were overwhelmed, or depressed, or anxious. This is
0: the Australian community, right?
1: Yes, and American community. I'm going up to, to, I mean, I vacation up at Lithia Springs uh, where they have... Uh, the hotel's Lithia Springs Resort. You just—they give you bathtubs right there, and you get these baths of lithium. Uh, I used to have a spa, which was uh, people came to for lithium uh, hot tubs. I mean, it is an amazing substance. It's been around for thousands of years where people would go for healing, sulfur and lithium, the two most healing minerals. But they found that these the anxiety would go away, depression would go away, relaxation would increase. So then they decided, well, let's, let's mine up some lithium and give it to people who have big problems and see what happens. And then it didn't work, it didn't do anything unless they put really toxic doses, because it's a salt. So if you take too much of anything, it's bad but the right amount is good if it's good. Well lithium is very much needed but you don't need a lot of it and so they started giving a lot of it for psyche, for psychiatric patients for bipolar and it worked except that it had dangerous side effects because people were taking toxic doses. Well a doctor Hans Nieper discovered that if you if you take lithium same lithium but you bond it instead to instead of bonding at the carbonate you bond it to uh, a substance in mother's milk called orotic acid you bond it there and you get lithium orotate, then you only need to take small milligrams, you know, maybe five, ten milligrams, tiny, tiny bit, and it crosses the blood-brain barrier because it's bonded to the substance in mother's milk, and the brain gets what it needs. And the more sugar, the more stress we under, the more we need to replenish our body with lithium. And you know, even the Buck Foundation, where I live here in, in, in Northern California, they're now saying that it's a preventative against Alzheimer's uh, a New York Times article came out saying everybody should be taking some lithium every day uh, in some parts of the com- country if you go to El Paso the water naturally has more lithium in it and if you look in the yellow pages uh, it has the least amount of marriage counselors in the world <laughs> the least <laughs> in America uh, it, you know this is just a substance should, that should be there and uh, as part of our mineral support Unfortunately, unfortunately most people don't know that information and for kids who are hyper it's one of the immediate helps is lithium orotate but it needs cofactors as well whenever you add more of one thing you need to add more of other things too so uh lithium orotate along with calcium orotate magnesium orotate potassium orotate zinc orotate those are your basic uh, alkalizing minerals that are so important for the brain to minimize stress
0: we'll get right back to the conversation with john I want to give you a free resource to start using some of the information John has mentioned today right away. Whether this show inspired you to start researching brain health, your relationships, addiction, or ADHD, choose an audiobook that relates to you for free this month over at wellnessforce.com/slash/freebook. Audiobooks are the perfect thing for podcast listeners. I know because I run around my life every day, listening to podcasts and audiobooks all the time. And audiobooks are the perfect solution to learning new information in our busy life. So head on over to wellnessforce.com slash free book today and grab a copy of something you've wanted to read for a while, but haven't had the time to read it. Now back to the conversation with Dr. John Gray.
1: And then there's another word I talk about in the book that I just want people to hear a bit. It's hard to understand it right away, but it's called uh, oxidative stress. And oxidative stress is associated with every single brain problem, every single health problem. Uh, You'll see, if you go to PubMed, you'll see 150,000 studies showing oxidative stress directly linked to every single health problem in the body. You could basically say another term for oxidative stress is injury to the cells, the death of neurons in the brain. And what causes that? Well, it's basic science, and it can be put very simply because most people are familiar with the term antioxidants, So what we have, and they're familiar with the term free radicals. Well, free radicals are produced every time your body makes energy, but free radicals are also produced when you have heavy metal toxicity, pesticides, any kind of uh, foreign invader in the body, the body reacts by producing more free radicals. But even good healthy exercise produces free radicals. It's just a natural byproduct of making energy. Well... When your body makes these free radicals, then your body also makes antioxidants to neutralize those free radicals. They have to be neutralized or balanced again. Now, the number one antioxidant that our body makes is something called glutathione. So glutathione is a term everybody needs to become familiar with. There's 100,000 studies on the government PubMed pub um, peer-reviewed research showing that any condition of ADHD, depression, anxiety, loss of memory, uh, heart disease, diabetes, any kind of these chronic conditions that you don't want, you always are directly linked to extremely low or zero levels of glutathione being produced in the body. So you can see, you know, like a, a, on YouTube, you can see uh, a Parkinson's patient, for example, whose uh, brain's not functioning, can't talk, can barely walk. And you give them an IV drip, that means you just put uh, glutathione in the vein, and in 10 minutes, they're walking and talking, okay? This is like this amazing substance, but you know, I'm not recommending people to get IV drips of glutathione. What I tell people is how to make it, because that next day, that Parkinson's patient's going to be right back where they were, because your body needs to be making glutathione all the time and that's a well-known science now we've got all kinds of natural solutions to help people make glutathione uh but the 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 easiest one is undenatured whey protein it increases it by 400 percent but you need other ingredients as well you need all those good minerals to activate the process uh you need selenium uh these are vitamin d you need your vitamin c you need vitamin e so a good multivitamin will help but alone it does very little you need to bring these things together because it's it's like uh, making a meal. You've got to bring all the parts together. You can't just bring in one part. But this glutathione is just amazing to help uh, restore normal brain function. For my Parkinson's, I didn't even realize that the supplements that I was giving myself and the natural solutions, uh, I was just going by what makes my brain feel better. Ten years later, we discovered that actually what I stumbled upon is one of the biggest glutathione-producing things, which is these rare substance at the time 15 years ago it was a it was undenatured whey protein that means that it's not been heat processed now you can find it more commonly undenatured whey protein
0: for people that have lactose though does that bother them or is that not have the, the the protein enzyme in there that irritates
1: for most people when you get it raw uh and it's not heat processed they can handle it quite wonderfully uh but what i have is a solution for anybody that has the problem what 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 I did is I formulated uh, from, you know, organic, grass-fed cows from New Zealand and it's really good uh, undenatured whey protein. It's the quality makes a big difference. But if anybody has any problem with that, then you add enzymes to it. So I have a pre-mix which has a lot of vitamins and enzymes in it. But if you let it sit for 30 minutes to 45 minutes, those enzymes will pre-digest all of that uh, and turn the protein into peptides, so they're automatically digested for you. And the research we've done on that has shown that it's around 92 to 94 percent fully assimilated by the body. Uh, most proteins are only really assimilated like 30 or 40 percent. So, in most whey proteins, are only like 30 to 40 percent. Here, if you just mm-hmm. let it sit for 30 to 45 minutes with these enzymes that are already in it, it's protease enzymes. And then it bubbles a little bit, and if you go beyond 45 minutes, it then doesn't taste good. Uh, And you do it without ice, so you make a nice little blended shake. Now, you can still get the benefit if you can handle uh, dairy just by making the shake and drinking it down real fast, which is a great convenience food. But if you can let it sit for 35 to 45 minutes, most people immediately assimilate it even with, with digestive problems.
0: We'll make sure to definitely link that on your site. You talked about a lot of things for nutrition to really healing depression, you know, upregulating glutathione. But I want to shift into some Facebook questions. We actually had some of the audience members ask some specific questions. And I'm excited to see this one that we already touched on when we look at instant gratification. McLean asks, do you feel that sex addiction by way of having thousands of fetishes online at our fingertips is actually creating sex addicts in our youth?
1: Oh my gosh, it's huge. Not just sex addicts but brain injured children addictive behavior and also as we say uh, a a greater tendency for instant gratification and and a dependence on overstimulation and the inability to stay turned on to a real woman
0: you mentioned actually there was a quote in your book that said internet porn from a study internet porn is like heroin to the brain
1: absolutely absolutely you can see it affecting the same part of the brain the heroin effects it's a it's so intense. I mean, it's one of the most intense things because sex, just sex, uh, is a major dopamine stimulator. But then when you make it internet sex, which is impersonal sex, where you don't even have a real person there, what happens mm. is your brain is going to produce massive amounts of dopamine without all of the other hormones that regulate dopamine. Let me give an example of that, which is if, if, if I'm with my wife my dopamine gets produced, but also my estrogen gets produced, my oxytocin gets produced, uh, prolactin gets produced. Uh, There's all kinds of other things probably as well. Those are things that are easily measurable that regulate dopamine from going too high, from being too intense because you don't want it to be super intense. But when it is super intense, it's a big hit the first time, but then you lose like 20, 30% of your dopamine function. Mm. So next time, you become dependent upon that higher dopamine stimulation just to become aroused. And what they've seen online is that people go from one extreme thing to another thing to another thing. They get bored and ultimately what what it is, the allure of it is anytime you do something that's dangerous, uh, dopamine gets produced anytime you do something that's helpful and supportive. Dopamine gets produced. It just danger creates more, because uh, dopamine helps you to react faster. And you know, if you're in danger, you better be alert and interested and motivated and get out of there. So danger can create high levels of dopamine. So whenever you're sitting on your computer watching porn, and and if your mother was to walk in, that would be dangerous, right? If if society knew that you were getting off on these images, uh, there'd be disapproval. And so it's that. That is that danger of getting caught, even though it's not a conscious thing, but you know darn well that you don't want somebody watching you when you do it. Mm-hmm. That's what causes the intense dopamine rush. Then what happens is now you get used to that, which means getting used to it actually means you're losing dopamine function in your brain and you become more dependent on a higher level of stimulation. And that means higher level of danger.
0: Would you say that porn is actually more deleterious for long-term health than junk food?
1: Oh my gosh! Putting them both together, um, I, I wouldn't know which is. Uh, you, basically, I'd eat junk food over porn any day. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not gonna eat junk food either. But what sure. what happens is, what what porn will interrupt is the inability to stay turned on to a real person. That's the biggest downfall to it. Also, changes the brain. It creates an addictive behavior and so forth. Normal life becomes sort of dry and barren. And then you can start, you know, doing it too often, which just depletes you of, of life force and, and energy. Uh, you know, it's, just to give an example of this, um, when, when I write a book, you know, I sit down for 30 days, I'm in my cave, and I just pour out a creativity uh, to a great extent. Uh, I have no sex drive at all. I mean, all my energy goes into creativity. The same energy that... that makes us attracted to each other is the same energy this creative force and that's why younger, the younger you are often you have this really strong overwhelming sexual desire and that's because you don't have any other channels for that energy but the more cultured you are if you play an instrument or if you read books or if you write or you're learning new things meditation any kind of service to the world you have channels for all that energy to go out if you have no channels then it just goes out sexuality. It's the most primitive release of, of energy there is, and it's built in. And so here you are suddenly being faced with you know, thousands of women, and your subconscious mind thinks they all want you, uh, mm-hmm. which, of course, they don't. So it's all a deception. It's a fantasy. It's Your energy is released into nowhere. When you, have your, when you share your sexual energy with someone you love, love is, is kind of a union. It's a oneness so it's, it's, I love my wife, and she loves me, so when my energy goes to her, it comes right back to me. And she gives her energy to me, it comes right back to her. Uh, a, a non-sexual way of looking at this is every parent knows that when you give to your child, you're giving to yourself. Uh, it just comes right back to you. That's because you have this biological link. But to give to your partner, when you love them, you also have this link of oneness So if I make my wife happy, it makes me happy because there's a oneness there. And so when you have sex with someone you love, you don't become depleted of your creative force. It actually increases. And then you can use it and focus it. Like for me, when I'm writing or something, I'll just focus and channel that energy. And then afterwards, sex is great again.
0: This reminds me of a chapter in – I'm actually reminded of a chapter as you speak in Think and Grow Rich where he talks about sexual transmutation. Have you read that? Yes, many, many years ago. Such a great chapter. And he touches on exactly what you're saying where sex can be such a distraction. It can be such an energy suck or a leakage of our potential, of our human potential. And I know that human potential is something you're passionate about. There's a second question on Facebook for you from Steph. And she asked – uh, John, have you read Sex at Dawn, the book? And if so, what are your thoughts about how we are living today in discordance with how we mostly evolved as a polygynous species? Now, polygyny is a, a mating system, which one male lives and mates with multiple females, um, but each female only mates with one single mate. She asked, do you acknowledge the reason there is a difference in what men and women want and desire is because we didn't evolve this way? And at the dawn of agriculture, do you feel that paternalistic paradigms have forced us to live ways that don't jive with our biology.
1: <laughs> I love the book. <laughs> okay, I read the book. I love it. Uh, and, and, and I, it it's, I think it's four authors. And you kind of get a sense that they don't really have an answer to that. They're posing the, the, the situation. And I do have an answer from at least my own point of view. I, I, it wor- what works for me is the understanding that if I was just my monkey brain and my primitive brain, which has evolved for millions of years, if I was just that, then all of those old systems would be very appropriate. But I'm not. I have, I have a brain which is different than a person a thousand years ago even. Uh, I, my children, as I mentioned in the beginning, my daughter Lauren, she's got a brain that's different from me. Uh, there's real evolution going on in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. So, yes, me, we men biologically, the sex centers in the back part of our brain. It's also the fight or flight part of the brain which can be violent. Uh, I've never been violent. Uh, and yet i i can relate to the violent part of me i can relate to a part of me who wants to kill somebody to protect my family or protect my values or whatever i can relate to that feeling reaction but then i've got a monkey brain up here that has more love and compassion and then i've got a front brain up here which says well does that really work for my highest goals what really works for my highest goals and that's this culture which is trying to help people to direct their sexual energy, which in a monkey is just going to go to anybody in the tribe and to the next tribe. And the more primitive part of the brain, I can make enough sperm to make 10 babies a day, easy, maybe 100. <laughs> so line up, ladies, I'll make babies. And that's what that part of the brain is designed to do. <laughs> so you've got, you know, you, you, you've got a brain that has the potential to be Uh, aggressive, and mean, and hurt people, and steal from people, Uh, it's it's survival of the fittest, that part of the brain is in there, but I direct it. Uh, I channel that energy through the middle part of the brain, which is more social, more loving, into the front part of the brain, which has no jealousy, but recognizes what works, what doesn't, and what I want in my life is to culture that energy, and run it through someone I love, my wife, which allows, which gives her a gift. See, I've analyzed the whole thing from just a point of view of why is it better to be monogamous and and channel that energy. I don't feel any frustration because I have a great sex life with her. The question only comes up, gee, poor people, you know, they're stuck in these marriages where they have dead sex life. Well, they do. And people today say, I want to be alive and I meet somebody else, I'm going to feel alive. It it comes up because you have no history with that person of resentments and betrayal and being disappointed. But what I see, our journey in life, is to learn to find forgiveness and to love. And when somebody makes mistakes, how to forgive them, how to bring out the best in them, how to take responsibility for your mistakes, how to grow together without resentments, without rejection, without suppression, and that's really what all this personal growth is about, is to be shining light of love. And the hardest person to love after 30 years or 15 years or five years is the person you're living with. Because <laughs> when you're intimate with someone, it's its like dancing closer to someone. You, you're going to have a greater chance of stepping on them. It's <laughs> just the way it is. To be sexually open to somebody after many, many years is a great accomplishment and task. Because what it's saying is, I'm still letting you affect me. Because clearly in the beginning of a relationship, there's sort of this illusion. Uh, there is a massive amount of dopamine that gets produced because it's newness. And there's a massive amount of serotonin that gets produced because you have no history. So you have no records of failure with this person or being rejected. But that's really like a drug trip. Uh, it's an altered state that just because it's new, you get to experience that. And certainly there's a feeling of aliveness but there is gonna be this depletion because the energy doesn't come back to you. But what real love is, is to be able to say to somebody, and I remember when my wife said this to me, seven years into our marriage, it was such a moment for me. We had just had great sex, and I said to her, you know, I said, Honey, that was that was that was as good as it was in the beginning. Wow, that was great. And she said, and, and she said, Well, I thought she thought it was much better than the beginning. What <laughs> are you talking about? And she says, Well, this is seven years we've been married. Uh, you've seen the best of me and you've seen the worst of me and you still adore me. That's what makes sex great. And then I went, wow, that was like it, it was true. You know, it kind of opened my awareness to sex is so much richer when you love the person. Now, we all know how good it is to have sex with someone you love. But there's fantasy love where you don't really know who they are. You imagine who they are. And then life sets in all these disappointments, and real life sets in, and frustrations happen, and upsets, arguments happen. But when you can come back to forgiveness and then embrace that person uh, who's pushed all your buttons and will continue to have the ability to push all your buttons and then let it go that's mastery and that's what we have as a, an option i think it will uh allows people to feel happier mm. uh, more alive more fulfilled and keeps the family together there's a great wisdom and monogamy just to keep the family together uh, that's a huge thing a little boy a little girl getting to see mommy and daddy loving each other and a lot of people say well what about mommy and daddy they don't love each other why should they stay together i completely agree But my answer is, hey, why don't you think beyond yourself, if possible, and stay married for your children, but not just stay together for your children, but make your relationship work for your children. Now, some relationships will never work, and people are just too immature, or one partner is too immature to make it work, and the other partner says, okay, I deserve better, and move on. I'm not against that at all. But we should at least use our children, if we have children, as a motivating factor to get help. To learn to do self introspection, to learn to find love again, and then when your heart is open and you realize that you just can't get what you need from your partner, certainly move on. We all make mistakes in picking the person that we want to be with, and sometimes uh, we 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 get involved with somebody to learn lessons. I mean, I've been divorced. I know what it's through. I was with the wrong person, but now I'm with the right person.
0: I'm going to have to check out your soulmate seminar. I actually just got out of a two year relationship where I'm working on some things myself and my development, but. I definitely was sparked in my chest from some of the things you said about commitment and how we show up. And is it really something that can be fixed for the long-term, like how we're actually approaching that relationship from a place of maturity. So thanks for that. We all go through relationship issues, I feel like. I want to transition, John. This is the last part of the show, and this is seven for seven. It's just seven quick questions for seven top-of-mind answers. And I'm excited to see what you're going to say on some of them. If there was one thing you could change about the health and wellness industry, what would it be and why? Uh,
1: Transparency to show people that drugs are hurting them, and that natural solutions, there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of studies showing their benefits. And you hear again and again on the news that these, there's no research showing that vitamins and supplements and herbs help anybody, which is complete nonsense.
0: Who has been one of your greatest mentors in life?
1: Well, I have to give it to Maharishi. Who was my guru in my 20s. Uh, he certainly uh, inspired me to, to go on a, 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 a journey of personal growth.
0: What is your favorite routine in the morning? For your personal wellness,
1: uh, my favorite routine is I wake up and I meditate. Uh, I love, love, love to meditate, and I also love, love, love to take a, a nice long hot shower.
0: <laughs> That's much different than the cold floor that you slept on with the Maharishi
1: <laughs> That's right. I used to take a cold shower, a cold bath every morning, and sleep on the floor.
0: Uh, what is one of the What is one of the best books you've ever read, or maybe even the best?
1: Well, I think that there's lots of really great books, but the most inspirational book, again, uh, when I was younger, was Autobiography of a Yogi. Uh, uh, it was um, inspired me to see that there's more possibilities to life than I thought, and that kind of blew my mind. And prior to that, I was always reading Marvel Comics, so it was kind of like on the same line. <laughs> you know, <being> a superheroes, <laughs> have powers. Uh, And so that then inspired me to find that, you know, connecting with spirit was a wonderful uh, way to increase your potential to be successful, to be fulfilled, to be a contribution in the world, to live happily ever after.
0: When you feel stress or encounter roadblocks, what is a certain mantra or personal message you tell yourself to get through life's difficulties?
1: You know, I have a a theme in my life that has helped me enormously. And I, I thank my mother for this. She lived it. And she also spoke it occasionally. And she said that you always will have what you need in life. And if you don't, you're looking in the wrong direction. And that creates a context of turning every upset, every disappointment into a lesson to learn so that I can then create more in this world. And it gives me awareness that I have a relationship with the universe It supports me as I support it, and you support it by finding love and finding forgiveness and taking uh, bold acts of courage uh, to follow what you want to do and and not to run away.
0: Mm.
1: So it's it's that feeling of of I'm not alone in this world, but I'm uh, cared for by not just people around me, but the universe itself. And meditation also gives me a beautiful experience of that and reinforces it.
0: What is your legacy that you're leaving to the wellness community?
1: Well, my legacy, I think, you know, is one of the legacies is certainly the wonderful Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus book. But I guess what I feel even more strongly is the legacy is one of my daughters, Lauren, who's sort of picking up the mantle of Mars, Venus and taking it to a whole new level, particularly for women. So women can understand my message in a voice which is even more familiar to them. Uh, I'm very excited about her uh, passing the mantle to her, and she's doing a great job.
0: Last question, John. What is wellness to you, if you had to define your personal definition of wellness?
1: Well, I'm not going to get too complicated here. Wellness is waking up feeling really happy and having plenty of energy throughout the day and uh, feeling a joy in my heart. With no pain in my body uh, and crystal clear awareness. That's wellness. And, you know, I just think about yesterday. It was a perfect day. You know, I was productive all day long. There wasn't a moment that I didn't love. And, you know, it was blue skies and sunshine outside. And I'm surrounded by people that love me and I love them and I work hard. Uh, That's wellness and with no complaints.
0: John Gray, thank you so much for coming on the show. You can look at John's book at marsvenus.com. It's staying focused in a hyper world, as well as John, you're going to be in the rise up film with Jack Canfield, Adam Markell and Jake Ducey coming up. Can you really quickly just tell us why you chose to be in that? Well, they
1: invited me. (laughs) Uh, And those are all my friends. And, uh, Any opportunity for me to share my message with the world, that's congruent with my message. I'm very happy to do. So that's why I picked that
0: one. Well, John, thanks so much. I just want to take a moment here and breathe and just give you such gratitude for what you've created in the wellness community. You've been serving for almost 40 years. And I I even mentioned to you in the pre-recording, I think my parents have a copy of your first book. And I just want to thank you from Wellness Force Radio. I know you're going to impact many of lives for the next few years as people go over this recording. So thanks for what you do and your contribution.
1: Uh, Josh, thank you for inviting me. Keep up the great work.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, let your voice be heard. Leave us a quick review on iTunes by just tapping the show logo right there on your iPhone. You'll see a review link in purple that says review. Hit that. It'll take you right to the screen where you can leave your words that I'll read live on the next episode. Now you get to go and have an amazing day with all the tools and inspiration you learn from Dr. John Gray and every other guest that's been on the show. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.